So thank you to Grant and Jane. You're helping me release the fire. I am so amazed when it comes to preaching. I just I find myself dreamy of saying these things. Um, and it's not because I want to preach to people. I just want to release the truth and the glory and the wonder of God. So it just burns inside me. So I'm trusting the Lord will, will release that. Um, one of the things about preaching is I just felt the Lord give me a picture. If I'm surrounded with the full revelation of God as a sphere, and I'm inside that sphere, it's as if he's given me a zoom lens, and I just zoom into a small portion of it. So this is a continuation of God's revelation from the, over the weeks and into the future. So you're just getting a snapshot of what it is. But I felt God saying we as individuals every day have this opportunity to go and choose a portion of revelation, be led by the Spirit, and look at it and reveal it and take a selfie with you in that revelation. But when you look at that, rev- that selfie, what you should be seeing is not just the word and words, but the word is Jesus. And when you look at Jesus and look at yourself, you should be seeing it morph together. Which one is which? Was it Jesus on the right or the left? But I want to encourage you, that's the power of the word. As you own it and it becomes yours, you're transformed into the real likeness of Jesus. And that is God's delight. So don't, don't miss out on that opportunity to be something far more amazing than we can imagine. All right, so I asked the Lord what he's trying to do, and let's see if that's where I'm going to end up going. But um, I do want to carry a message about God's love. And the fact, I find it very difficult to get the message or the title of the preacher. This is probably the 100th iteration. So it's more about what is the title than preparing a preach almost. So where have we set our minds? That's what it came down to. And Psalm 117 out of the Passion talks about, let everyone everywhere shine with praise to Yahweh. Let it all out. Go ahead and praise him. Um, For he has conquered us with his great love and his kindness has melted our hearts. His faithfulness lasts forever and he will never fail you. So go ahead, let it all out in praise and everything else. So it's about who has conquered our hearts, our minds. Where have we set our minds on? It's our choice to do that. So God does want us to be conquered by his steadfast love. And when I look at the word God and Lord and love, I'm, I generally always find in the Bible that he talks about steadfast love. It's a love that endures, it continues, it's always there. God is steadfast in his love. If we don't experience it, it's not a problem with God. <laughs> it's something that we've set an, another dial and filter that says, I don't believe God can be steadfast. But he is steadfast. And I, want, I believe God wants us to know that it's a steadfast love. Something with that is perfect love drives out all fear. So if we have fear... I just want to remind us, it's a warning light. It's like, uh, the warning lights come on, I need to get petrol. I don't have to throw the car away. I don't have to get worried about it. It's not the end of the world. But it's just fear is a warning light that God's given us to say, I'm living by sight and in my own strength, and I've been overwhelmed by these circumstances around me. Perfect love drives out all fear. So if you have fear, and if you're worried about things and not sure, just take it in the grace of God that God's love has got a solution to that. And then here's a a bit of a (laughs) clincher. If the Bible is true, do we believe the Bible is true? I assume you're here. Thank you for, all right. God is God. He's who he says he is. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. And we have the Holy Spirit in us. Then how should we think and live in this world? All right. So there should be something different because we believe it. The word really shows that. So I want to get into that. So, um, <laughs> the Holy Spirit was giving me some pictures here. So, I thought, you know, what would it look like in heaven 
Jesus is there, he's with his angels, and they're talking about the kingdom of heaven and how they want this great message of the gospel to go out. And so he calls in the marketing angels. They come up there. We know the marketing angels because they've got ponytails and earrings. Sorry. <laughs> so they're the marketing angels, and they're saying, well, how do we share this amazing message with the world uh, of this gospel? Well, let's tell them, everybody, that Jesus loves you and that you, that you can have a perfect life. And Jesus is saying, no, not quite. How about that? Come to Jesus and everything will be fine. Jesus is saying, hmm, that's not quite the message I want. How we, why don't we choose this one? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, that's not quite a real good pitch for marketing, if you might think about it. It's like the angel saying, uh, okay, you're the CEO, maybe that's what it's got to be. But that's what Jesus said. And, uh, I mean, is that the pitch that we normally use? I don't know when last you use that as, a, as an evangelistic tool to go to somebody to say, Jesus, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus and lose your life. But that is the gospel message, is it not? So why do we come and think that we have to put sprinkles and icing and everything else in order to get this message out? So I want to delve into that and try and understand more about it. So um, part of this is that we might see it as quite challenging and suffering and we don't know how to handle that. And I do it myself. It's like, oh Lord, that looks quite hard, you know, to deny yourself and to take up the cross, cross is death and everything else and to follow you. I mean, you had no place to go, lay your head. Ah, it just looks really hard. Um, so I'm not too sure I'm ready for that. And, but I don't believe that's the message God wanted to give us. So what he revealed to me in the preparation of this is that he has a solution to all of that. And if we see this as an overwhelming challenge or hard or we're fearful, what I'm saying is that you're not operating in the love and what God's love is, is more beyond that we can imagine. And I wanna get more into that. Um, and just the thought the Lord said to me is, are we spending more time trying to save our lives? Everything we do is saving my life and whatever that means in your day-to-day -day living or, or planning, or have I just simply lost it to Jesus? Lord, I give it over to you, I hand it over to you, and all those things that I did to save my life, I'm leaving with you. Because when I do that, whoops, wow, this is my life, in all its glory and goodness and everything else. And that is very contrary to the way we thought, uh, taught. So. so I had a, some pictures given to me by the Lord of those who've, who have denied themselves, uh, taken up their cross and followed Jesus. And any of you would know who that first person was who did that, who, who tried to do that? Who would be the first one? Any names you want to mention? So the name I got, and it was out of Romans, I'm doing a study of Romans, um, I've had to read it a couple of times, but wow, what a rich and amazing book. And in that, Paul at the end, the great apostle Paul gives reference and greetings to a family called Rufus and to his mother. And, and just says, well, that's wonderful. So I thought, who's Rufus? And as I'm reading up there, I find out Rufus is the son of, Ali, uh, of Simon of Cyrene. And Simon of Cyrene, this is what, um, uh, so, so let me say this. Paul says about Rufus, greet Rufus to the whole church. So let it to the whole church. Everybody there, they're saying, whenever you see Rufus, just remind him, I'm greeting him. So it's like somebody, Rob Brief is writing a letter to us and saying, Grant and Jane, whenever you see them, I want you to give a greet uh, Matt, you know, uh, whenever you see him, anybody greet Matt. So we're all going around, how's it Matt, you know, how are you doing? Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's a bit of an acknowledgement. But he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. This is 
Romans 16, 13. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. So why would he give that a claim in reference to those people? So that got me thinking, and I did a search, and in that I um, found out about this person called Simon of Cyrene. So I've looked at the three Gospels, and often it's very good to just compare the three Gospels to get an overall picture, because sometimes you miss something. So I've uh, accumulated and brought together all three Gospels. So it turns out, this is what it says in in Scripture, and they, the Roman soldiers, as Jesus has been beaten and tormented and persecuted by creation, his creation, he's now been led to Golgotha, a journey of a, a kilometer and a half. And, and he is so broken and so destroyed that they need somebody to help carry his, the cross. And so they compelled the Roman uh, soldiers, they seized, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander Rufus, to carry his cross and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So I just, I started thinking these connections. Well, the first person to carry the cross was Simon. <laughs> he wasn't even a follower, he's a passerby. I'm going on my journey. I'm a Jewish believer from Siron. I've got nothing to do with these Christian people, who on earth they are, but this is quite a ruckus. Let me go and have a look. So he goes there and he's a passerby, but (laughs) he gets intercepted by God through the agents of the Roman soldiers to say, come and have a front seat in the revelation of history through Jesus Christ. And there he is forced to pick up the cross. And I wonder as he was stood there when he looked into Jesus' eyes, what did he see? I just had this fascination of saying, Lord, did he see a broken person, somebody totally distraught and in panic and fear, or did he see the eyes of God who said, before me I see joy, and I am doing this because this is for the Father's glory and for our revelation of of grace to people. This is salvation. I love you so much. I think he would have seen a love and a fierceness and everything else in that broken body, blood, thorns, broken skin, peeled off, etc., and so when he took it, he had to follow. Interesting, he had to follow behind Jesus. <laughs> so the first person was actually not a follower. <laughs> and in that, a non-believer picked up the cross and followed behind Jesus. Now, what happened to this non-believer? I don't know if he was born again. So, but I can tell you this. He probably stayed behind. He got a front row seat and saw the, re- the crucifixion, saw what happened, and saw Jesus being taken down, and all these unusual events. He probably heard or saw about Jesus been resurrected. I believe he stayed 40 days and it was probably at Pentecost because it talks about there were men from Cyrene who heard the message and, and were responding to it. Uh, and then we know that he went home um, because his family, his, his wife and his sons became followers. So we don't know that he was born again, but according to good legal advice, which I happen to get every single day, the balance of probability which is good enough to condemn you as a believer, strange way of putting it, but forgive me, uh, we, could, we could say he was a believer because of what happened in that. His family followed, etc. And we do know in Acts and Antioch that there were men from Cyrene who preached the gospel, Jewish believers who accepted it. All right, so there's a man who was transformed by what he inter- intercepted by God, who took up a cross as a non-believer, followed behind Jesus, and and do that. So that was kind of a strange uh, scrambling up of that circumstances around it. Um, but we do know something about Rufus. We know that he was chosen. I mean, that also sounds a little bit arrogant. He was chosen. Well, what about me? Am I not chosen? Well, it's up to you. Are you chosen? Because it's up to you to decide. Because I probably know at least 10 of us who are chosen. But if you all put your hands up and say we're chosen, you're chosen. So that 
Why? Because Rufus knew he was chosen. He, that's why Paul said it. He says, I know this man. He loves the Lord so much, and he knows that he's chosen. He knows that he's got destiny and purpose. He knows that he's denied himself to the ways of the world. He's given up the Jewish traditions to follow Jesus and believe by faith that he's saved again. He's taken up his cross in order to be a witness in Rome, in order to declare the goodness and mercy and kindness of God to others. And I know that this chosen person is following Jesus. So there's an example of one of those, the DTF of faith. It's a new movement. I'm starting the DTF. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow Jesus. So there was one of the members of that organization. All right. So... I think that's why he got that, that um, reference. But we are chosen as well. It's like the disciple who Jesus loved. Oh, was there only one? But unless you decide to be that one, you're the number two or number three. So it's up to us. It's a choice that we have. He loves us and we are chosen. So I just encourage you in that. Um, and then what about Jesus? I mean, I just thought about Jesus what compelled him to endure such shame and mockery at the hands of creation that ran amok on him to destroy him? I mean, he was not, you don't often read about people being crucified, being so beaten up. They were particularly cruel to Jesus, I believe. They were particularly harsh, and they broke him to the level that he couldn't even carry his cross. That's how severe the beating by mankind was. But he did that because he took on our punishment, that sin, that was our sin, that's what we were worthy of because of the sin in us, but he took that on so that we wouldn't need to deserve that. So I am grateful for Jesus for standing there. He had a get out of jail card. I released the legions of heaven to come down and rescue me. Never once did he use it. Why? Because of the joy set before me. He had a different perspective and a different view and he didn't give up on that journey. So <clears throat> that's, that's the story of Simon and Rufus and Jesus. And then Paul. We have Paul <laughs> breathing threats and murder against the disciples. This is out of Acts. Causing havoc. That's what the disciples, I mean, that's his reputation. He's causing havoc amongst the believers in the church. And ultimately, what was he doing? Just persecuting Jesus. So people attack you and everything else. Just remember, they're persecuting Jesus, not you. Um, and again, he was intercepted by God. And I'm using that word because for us, we've been intercepted. Your journey, wherever you were going, on your way, I've got a purpose and destiny, I'm number one. Jesus intercepted you and he put you on a new journey, which was on his purpose. So I want us to realize we have been intercepted. Um, <laughs> I have another picture that I thought, well, in heaven, there's Jesus. And this great movement of believers is spreading and and they need more leaders, and they need to um, provide structure and, and support to these, these Christians. And so in heaven, they're having a planning session, and the HR angels walk in with their briefcases and everything else. And say, okay, Lord, we put a profile together. We know we need more leaders. So we have put out a job description for another leader. We think that this person must have a, a, a love, um, have good faith. Um, and we think, and, and Jesus is looking at this, he says, no. I don't think so. I don't think he, he must have been with me and understood everything I said. So, he, you know, he should have been with me. Um, I don't think so. I think what we should do, we, we should have somebody who is a great teacher of the law. Uh, you're sure, Lord, you want somebody who's a great teacher, not somebody who was under your teaching. No, no, I think a great teacher of the law. Let's put that down as a criteria for the next great uh, leader of the church. Um, well, Lord, we also think we should get somebody who's a good worship leader, who's got these skills that can lead people in, in worship and everything else. 
She says, no, actually not. I think we should find somebody who's very good with unarmed Christians and can particularly persecute them and beat them. That would be a good quality. Uh, right. This is right there on the job description. Well, Lord, um, what about somebody who's able to fend for themselves and provide for themselves? Uh, what about a tin maker? Yeah, okay, I'll give you that tin maker. And they should be Jewish, shouldn't they, Lord? They should really be Jewish. Uh, no, no, I'll tell you what. Let's go for a Roman citizen. So... What I'm trying to say is when you think about who should have been a great leader of the church, what did you come up with? I didn't come up with that. That was just like letting my mind roll with something in heaven. But the HR angels, us, <laughs> would have gone one direction, yet Jesus chose the one who's persecuting him with great havoc. What type of God does that? That is absolutely crazy. That was an interception of note. Um, and within three days after meeting Jesus, Paul is now a born-again believer. So what did he do? Can we say he denied something? Can we say he denied all the rich teaching, the university scholarships and education under Gamal and everything else? He said, I deny that has been worthy. All this worldly knowledge is not worth holding on to in comparison to knowing Jesus. And how good was he? He was teaching all the Jewish Experts in uh, Damascus, the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. He really got this message very quickly. Um, what cross did he take up? Well, he was a rabbi and he was serving in the roundup of all these crazy Christians, but he took up the cross of being a leader of the church in order to share and encourage and to build up and to set up the church for Christ. He did that. And did he follow Jesus? Well, you've got three, four missionary journeys. Wherever he went, he was prepared to be bound. He was prepared to suffer and persecute and everything else to do that. So I think you could say he definitely belonged to the DTF club. All right, deny, take up the cross and follow. Um, so what on earth did Jesus see in this man? He saw the ability of grace to be received. He saw the ability of love to be understood. And Romans is maybe not the easiest book in Hebrews, but when you spend some time and you start to take selfies of yourself in that word and understand you are the righteousness of Christ, that you are born again, and that you are like Jesus, you start to understand that Paul had that revelation that nobody else could have had. And Jesus needed the man of Paul in order to bring the richness and goodness of that gospel. Jesus needs every one of you in what you have to offer in order to do it. The criteria that you think that you needed to have in order to be born again is absolutely immaterial. It's what Jesus can do through and in you when you get this revelation and understanding of God's grace and love and the power that he can do through you. And if you often listen to what Paul says, he talks about grace. Grace, grace given to me, grace abounds. He received it. He didn't just say, well, let me talk about this academic theory of grace. Uh, when you eat, we like to say grace. And he broke it down to something that's nonsensical. I think we should start meals off and we really talk about grace. Thank you, Lord, for grace. That means I'm born again, that I'm a righteousness of Christ. I'm no longer. Grace means that you've taken off all my impurities and all my sin, that I receive the righteousness and goodness of you. Thank you, Lord, that grace means I'm an heir. Thank you that grace means I'm a beloved son. And then go and mention food. But we, do, we, do, we deconstruct grace down to something about food. I don't know. I, I just think we, we, we missed the point on that. So I just want to encourage us that we, careful. <laughs> All right. Sorry, we'll keep getting to the timeline. What's also interesting is Paul had this term, my gospel. My gospel is able to strengthen you. I know, Paul, it's not yours, it's Jesus, isn't it? Jesus' is gospel. No, no, it's my gospel. And I thought, well, that's interesting, because I don't know if I call it my gospel. 
Do you own the gospel? Is it yours? Do you believe that you're part of it? Do you believe that you're co-heirs and authorities? You are, it's my gospel. So don't, you can go and tell people, I've got to tell you about my gospel because I own it. I know about the righteousness of Jesus. I know what he did. I know that I'm a disciple of Jesus. It's my gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because in it is the righteousness of God. It's my gospel. And that's just a slight difference that we take ownership of it. And I'm not trying to force you to do it because I'm going to get to the meat of this matter of, of how we get to that. But I'm just saying, here's a transformed person who was able to do the most incredible things and look at things differently because he had this perspective. He was able to, God chose Paul because Paul would receive this and believe it. What have you set your minds on? What are you prepared to set your minds on? Are we, are we tuned into a whole lot of little thoughts and at the end of it we have nothing? Or do we just say, Lord, that's what it is. The selfie shows me that I am like Jesus. Okay. Right, we are moving on. We are in third gear. <laughs> I mean, how's this for a bad marketing line to join the gospel? Jesus said um, to his disciples, and I believe he said this. Well, let me tell you what he said to Ananias. Because uh, there was a bit of an argument. Lord, you, you do know who you're asking me to go lay hands on. This is the murderer. This is the guy persecuting the faith. And Jesus knew fully well. He says, for I will show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I mean, when did you use that loss for evangelistic? Eh? That's very, very unpopular, Lord. So I think part of it was Ananias. He's done things wrong. I know that out of, I'm the one who takes vengeance. I'll sort it out of my own way. I'll do that. But Paul never shrunk away, because that was his ministry start. I'll show how much he suffer. Um, Paul never shrunk away from that. I find that quite amazing. And did he suffer? Did he experience suffering? And his suffering was because of his love of the Lord and he was persecuted for, what he, for who he loved and who he followed. And what are some of the things that Paul would say in all those sufferings? Like, oh, I can't handle this. I need a therapy lesson. Oh, who's got a course, five-week, five-year course that I don't have to do anything? I need to attend a course. How did Paul handle it? So I'm not, I'm just, but this is Paul. The guy who suffered the worst persecution, left for dead, uh, dehydrated, having to fast, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, whatever. He suffered the worst. And this is his view on it. Um, Romans uh, 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Did Jesus talk more about glory or did he talk more about suffering? I think more about glory, that's what I get. It wasn't a big pity party for Paul. And I think the only reason he showed us is to say that's how far you can go. When you really know the grace and power of the Lord, you can face all these things. Not like you need to get here, you need to start ticking off, have you been left for dead, have you been stoned? That's not what he's saying. Do you know God's love so much and so powerful that you can get to there and that it's actually, I don't compare this. All right. And then Ephesians 3.13, just in case you need two uh, arguments to convince you, not one. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I see this picture of suffering and God's glory. Amazing. He's weird. Peculiar person there. And yet he's a, a leader of the faith. Who do you want to be like? The suffering person who can't get out or the person who's overcome it? So the question is, did Paul have a secret tablet, a secret pill that numbed him to suffering? What did he have in his back pocket? What did he take that, bring on those whips, bring on those stones, I can take it. What pull did he take? So here's my really cheesy line. He took the gospel. Yay! All right. The gospel was, yes. The gospel was real 
and powerful to him that he, he let that be number one. So he was numbed, and I don't care if you want to call the gospel a crutch. I love it. It's the best crutch ever, and I'll have more of it. it it's just worthwhile having because it works. Um, so what did Paul know about God's love um, that he learned? So I, I, I think as you read the scriptures and you read Paul's revelations through it, you get to learn Paul's understanding of God's truth. Um, you learned about grace, you learn about forgiveness, baptism, the old self dies, there's a new self, um, there's the Holy Spirit power, um, there's relationship, and there's this deep, deep love. And that's what I want to spend a few minutes now talking about. I mean, we want to share the love of God, but how do I go to somebody and say God loves you? And I know we, we say that, and it's important to say that, but it's not that type of love that God loves you works. Let me share this and just show you that's way beyond that. It can't be something that you put here and here. It takes a spiritual dimension to understand fully. So I'm going to read this slowly and try and emphasize something. But I want you to understand the love of God is not an ordinary love. And if you, if you have fear and if you fear suffering and everything else, I would like to suggest that you've tried to realize these things in your mindset and by the normal means that we understand it instead of the power by which God has given us through his power. It's a different dimension of love. Um, and so let's leave the, the worldly view of love and let's move to this kingdom view of love and let's see the difference. So um, just, just hear me as I say this. So Ephesians 3.14, I'm reading for there. So Paul says, for this reason, the reason is he's been suffering, <laughs> oddly, He's suffering because of the manifold wisdom of God and the unsearchable riches of Jesus through the church. He's suffering because he's portraying this message and he's conveying it with honesty and, and passion everywhere he goes. For this reason, <clears throat> I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you've been rooted and grounded in love. How many steps and spiritual steps are there before you became founded and rooted in love? It's not like I send you a little Valentine's, you know, God loves you. You, I'll go through it again. So now that you are grounded and rooted in love, may have strength. Now you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ. There's almost like two sets of love. Well, there's three. There's worldly love, which if you want to stay there, <laughs> I wouldn't encourage you. But now we move to this kingdom love, which means there's a Jesus living in me and then I can start to you know, comprehend. And there's a Jesus love and then I comprehend the depth and the length and everything else. So it's just an amazing dimension of love. Probably sounds crazy, but it's kingdom, and that's what we need to just get. Now, where are you going to, let me finish first, and we'll do that. All right, so now I can comprehend the length and depth of this love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So I can't describe this love and knowledge. It's one thing, and I'm saying, I had prayed this before, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I can't, I don't know how to describe this. It's not something I can describe in human relationship and worldly, it's a spiritual dimension. And that's why Paul had to pray. I can't say I'm going to give you a five-course note on how to love. It's a spiritual dimension. I bow the knee before the Lord that you may now be filled with the fullness of God. So what is the fullness, being filled with the fullness of God? 
this amazing revelation of God's love. So I just want to unpack the steps. And being an engineer, I love the process of God that he gets to in order to do that because it just shows me the, the level of God and, and the difference of God that he does. So uh, let's see if I've unpacked it well enough. So we receive the Holy Spirit. We're born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's, that's part of the package. So according to, and with that, then according to the riches of God's glory. So it's not according to what we know. It's according to the unending, uncontainable expense of God's um, glory, all right, in our inner being and are strengthened. So we are strengthened in that. It's almost like God's prepared, if you want to say a wineskin, in order to receive the love, you can't just say, I'm going to pour a bit of love in because God's love doesn't get contained in a normal sense. It's got to be uh, strengthened. There needs to be uh, this Holy Spirit presence in order to do it. Uh, I, I don't even think you can add God's love without the Holy Spirit to the full. You can, you can experience levels of it, but it's only at this level that you get to know God's love. So that once we have that first step, then Christ dwells in our heart through faith. Now we are rooted and grounded in love. All right. So that's the first level when I'm rooted in it through the Holy Spirit, through what he strengthened, he brings the Holy Spirit in. Now we can have strength to comprehend. So without it, I don't have the ability to comprehend the depth and love of God. So I'm trying to get us to that space of saying, Lord, I need to be at that dimension of understanding so I can know how deep and amazing this love is. And I'm saying Paul is an example of that. These people that we see are amazing followers of Christ are examples of it because they had that comprehension of that love because they were at that point of it. And then we are filled with the fullness of God. So this is a supernatural love. It's an amazing love. And if all you've tried to do is understand this love from a worldly perspective, I believe God is wanting to encourage us to say, let's turn up the dial and let's say, Lord, I, I, I thought I knew love, but I want this love. I want this love that requires the Holy Spirit that I'm strengthened, that I can have with all the other saints that all together we can understand this type of love. Because that to me is, is, is quite an amazing love. Um, one, one other passage then from Romans 8.14 as well about God's love. For all who are led by the Spirit of, of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and, follow, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, like, Lord, you know, I want to be part of this, but you want me to suffer. Oh, why do you do that? I mean, surely it's easier. Why do we have to suffer? I just felt God saying to me, but you put this wrong because when you do it in your own human strength and own ability, you'll see suffering as a negative. But how is this for a picture? As Paul did, and he got this revelation of who Jesus was, he understood what God had done for him. He understood that Jesus had died for his sins and he had become his atonement. So through Christ, he was forgiven and set free and righteous. And in that righteousness, he was then accepted as a son and as an heir with all the promises. And then all the promises of God flow down to him. There's no reason why God would hold back. So he felt this, you could sense and understand through the Holy Spirit, who does all these other amazing expansions of love, to appreciate God's love for him. And he says, well, Lord, I know who you are. I know that you for me, not against me. I know that you call me loved. I know that your love is for me. I know that I can trust you. I know that you give me comfort and peace. You are so amazing. Let me walk away from, from this old life and be more like you because I love being more like you. 
And as I'm more like you, I want to behave more like you, so I want to act more like you. So what does the world see? They, without even saying anything, because you think differently and speak differently, they come under accusation. Number one, you, you should experience that anyway. But now you start releasing truth as well because it's just an overflow of who you are, of love. The world says, well, we don't like that. We want you to stop. We're going to persecute you. How dare you say that? We're going to slap you. We're going to do whatever it is. Um, and then you feel that persecution and suffering. But because I love God so much, it's immaterial what you're saying. It's, your views and thoughts are actually immaterial to the love and knowledge of who I am in Christ. I've, I enjoy being your son. I enjoy following you. I enjoy being part of you. That these are just a consequence of what it means to be born again. So I don't worry about the suffering. And when I face the suffering because who I am, it's like, hey, I'm sad for you because I know what the truth is. I'm going to continue to share even if you, you persecute me. So I hope you can see what I'm trying to say there is that it's not that we chase after suffering, but as a consequence of a natural relationship with the Lord, that we are so drawn deeply into a love relationship with Him and understand who we are and we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. When He comes upon you, you, you get the nature of Christ, peaceful loving, patient, kindness, etc., and you get the power of Christ. And when those things overflow naturally and you're doing things, the world will feel condemned because they persecute Jesus and that's what it is and that's where the suffering comes from. All right. So what I'm saying here is don't be afraid and if you are afraid, <laughs> it's just a reminder that there's more of us that we could have. So if any of you are feeling fearful of that, oh, Lord, I don't know if I can suffer, my encouragement of what the Lord is saying, draw deeper into me. Let these prayers and, and the revelation of God's truth be so real in us that I am not worried about what other people are saying because that's the reality of it. And I can operate more like Jesus. So when people see you, they see Jesus. Does that make sense? That, that, yeah. So I'm less worried about the suffering, but we should, we should see suffering. And we could say there is suffering, but... It's to God's glory. Nearly finished. So why does this all matter? Why has God intercepted us? And why do we need to have this revelation of God's love and grace in our lives? I, the more I spend time with God, the more I realize how much he wants to demonstrate his kingdom of heaven on earth. It's not meant to be a staging point that one day I go to heaven and we, we get the business class ticket to heaven. Right here now, today, tomorrow, and the week ahead, we have an opportunity to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven here. And again, if that's been hard for you and difficult, answer this question. Have you been doing it in your own strength? Or have you been resting in where God has positioned you in fullness of love and everything else? Because I can assure you, those crazy people who seem to share this easily are more in that place of, Lord, it's in your power and your understanding and being in your likeness that I minister from, instead of being told, I need to go out. And I've done that. I've done E3, gone on the streets, it's kind of been compelled to do it. But I find it much easier that when I'm in a position of connection with the Lord and love, that it's, I find myself in unusual places sharing the gospel of God. And I want, I'm saying to us, let that be the normal setting of our mind. Lord, I want to wake up knowing that I'm loved. I want to wake up knowing that you've given me grace that abounds. I want to wake up knowing today that wherever I find myself, I will be able to witness. So I love the fact that we're reaching nations, and I, and I support that. But I'm saying uh, tomorrow, for the next five days, and maybe Saturday, you're reaching nations as well. So what are you doing to... Okay. 
You don't have to do. Don't even go that way, Graham. Let's put it this way. Are you so filled with Jesus and his love that you set your mind to what he's doing? That when you get to the workplace, you can look for the pauls in the workplace, those who persecute, those who are angry and everything else, and just say, Lord, am I an interceptor today? Are we intercepting this person, and are we going to intervene and bring them grace and love? Okay, why not do that? Because it's God's love. And if the guy turns around and says, swears, blasphemes, hey, I'm full of God's grace, I'm full of God's love, I can respond differently, and I'm not afraid of that. Uh, I'm not afraid to push into these areas and to go to the no-go areas. Uh, we don't do that in our, we don't witness, we don't, no, well, <laughs> as a born-again believer, I cannot help but share this goodness of God. It just flows out. And I'm just, so I'm not telling you you have to. Don't. In fact, if you feel you have to do it, don't. Because you're gonna make a huge stuff up. All right? Don't do it in that strength. All I'm saying is, go back, let these truths be real, take the selfie, have a look at it, and say, I don't know which one's which, but I'm ready. I know that this is looking like Jesus and I can go out. And Monday to Saturday, is the place that we can exercise this because that's where the church revelation comes through. And I just want to expand a bit about that because in the early church, what did people say? These Christians are turning the world upside down. So are we kind, please, if you take this condemning, I apologize because that's not my intention, but how are you turning the world upside down? Are people feeling it's turned upside down? because you're loving where there's no love of you, bringing hope where there's no hope of you, whatever. Turn the world upside down. You can do it. It's amazing. Um, and you just do it in God's love, because it actually doesn't matter what they say. Uh, one of the things I've realized as well is why does the world condemn us when we tell them what God's will is? Because we're releasing God's will. I really don't care what everybody says, if I'm bigoted, conservative, whatever the case is. Um, are you God? Uh, no, he's God, you're not. I don't need to listen to that. I'm sorry you feel that way. I need to demonstrate godly love in a way that you can see it differently. That's my response. So I'm not worried about what you say, but the world's worried about what we say and push down, don't say, you can't declare whatever. So that's why we need to have the love of God so we can keep demonstrating that message of love. Do it in God's strength and power. If you feel fearful, just come back and say, Lord, I'm bending my knee. I'm letting that verse be true. I know I'm an heir. I know I'm a son. I can depend on you. All right, so I just want to quickly give some examples of, of um, Christians being, uh, many said, you know, mentioned in dispatches. Rufus was mentioned in dispatches. Don't know what he was doing, but he's doing enough that he, people could see he was chosen of God and he was being a witness. Um, do you know Emperor Julian? Uh, interesting thing that he wrote in the early Christian church. Um, he was writing in the fourth century, regretting the progress of Christianity because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. He said, atheism, i.e. Christian faith. <laughs> so for the Romans, atheism was in fact, they won't believe in our gods, you believe in other gods. But anyway, um, atheism, Christian faith, has been specifically advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through the care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain, for the help that we should render them. <laughs> the highest authority in the land was hearing about the church. Now, do we want to do this because we want to claim and fame and everything else? God forbid, that's not the reason. But if we're doing it right, we should see that and say, okay, well, that's good. We want to demonstrate the kingdom to you. I'm not doing this for I want claim. I have one story uh, of a South African missionary group that um, started to work with a rural community. They had a church. They teaching, discipling people. There was a government fund, the Expanded Public Works Program, EPWP. 
they said, well, Lord, how do we help these people with this and, and we make better life? So as they're making disciples, um, they're using these government funds and they're making the funds go further, better, and they're doing something remarkable. To the level of the government saying, of all the programs we have, this church program is the best. And so ironically enough, President Zuma and the South African Communist Party arrive at this church venue to hear what's going on. Isn't that a wonderful testimony of what God can do through the church? Just everyday loving, it's not some great program, it's just, Lord, these are the people before me, and, and I want to do that. Um, Steve Stewart, some of us know, he's a nobody in Canada. He's just another guy off the church. But in Africa, when he arrives, because of his love and passion and desire and discipling and reaching the nations and helping them, the government officials say, listen, we're having an opening of parliament. Steve, why don't you come and join us? We need to hear what you've got to say. You've got something amazing. You're doing amazing work. We love what you're doing. Please come and show us that we know what, what, what's happening here. They get called in in order to demonstrate and share in the power of God. That is the destiny for us. Even in the workplace. How about the workplace? Testimony from the Bethel guys. Uh, guys have done the uh, BSM course. Guys go all over the world. Some guys go into business. Guy goes to business. His boss says, you know what? You are an amazing influence in this workplace. I love the impact that you have on people. You are sharing a culture of honor and love. And I know you're born again. Won't you share this culture more into the business? Because it makes a difference to my business. I am recognizing this power. Is this guy doing it because he's got a PhD in theology? Is he doing it because he did a Bible course? I can tell you he's doing it because he's got a revelation of the love and grace of God. And he's not getting up in the morning saying, woe is me, I suffer. He's getting up, woe is you, because I'm coming to get you. All right, okay. So I just want to encourage us. That is the setting. Set the dial in your minds to say, I'm not waking up in the normal perspective, and we might need to encourage each other, so my dear wife will hopefully encourage me and I'll encourage her, but when you wake up, it's Lord, it's in your strength, with your power, that that love that you've given me in, in the grace that abounds, all right, it's in that, and, and that's a testimony, we should be able to see it and say, guys, are we getting there, because if we're staying under the radar and we're not seeing these things, um, I did set my timer, is it on repeat, okay, so I'm about to finish, uh, Obviously, that's the Lord. Um, a pilot, uh, he, he's been flying, he's at the age of 60, he retires, he makes $2 million. At the age of 60, he gets a revelation of, well, when, when's a good time to leave the earth? Well, how about 120? The guy's over 100 and running marathons, okay? I can give you YouTube tips to the guy, amazing guy. So he's, he said, I have a long life, the Lord gives me a long life, I expect that. What I find more amazing is he made $2 million as a pilot, not a bad job, you get to have a hobby that pays for you, one of the few guys who do it, a bit like painting, if you can become a paid painter, I suppose. Um, but he has sowed $20 million into the church afterwards as a retiree. How does that work? But that's believing and trusting to say, Lord, I can do that. So he hasn't set the dial to, I'm a retired person. I sit back, attend church. He said, I am a born again believer, full of the spirit. All grace abounds me at all times, all places. Having all sufficiency, I can abound in every good work. That's what it is. Lord, uh, there's no money coming in. I thank you, Lord. I'm expecting that. Faith is what, what God has given by grace. All grace abounds. By faith, I receive it. Just a little practical. That's another zoom lens moment there, which we won't preach on. So he sets that, and that lives out to that destiny.
So I just want to encourage you. These are the things that become real. I'm giving you testimonies of ordinary people. Not somebody special. It's just somebody who said, I know the Lord is special. And if I set my things and my heart on him. Recently we went up to Zim. Lots of stories we can share there. But the only ones that I want to share for here are the fact that we met the most amazing people. Who have ch- Zimbabwe, I think, is the last country in the alphabetical list. And you could pretty much say it's the last in everything else. How about, let's use Zimbabwe as an example of economic um, success. You no. Know? Uh, how about, uh, you, you know, Good governance, no, probably the worst thing. You know, how about human rights? No, it's failed in so many areas. But you know what? <laughs> Having spoken to these amazing peoples, there is such a hunger and revival for churches that people overseas are saying, we can't believe it. 20% of all churches, I think, in Holland or Europe are being turned to atheistic purposes at the moment. In Zimbabwe, there's this amazing growth because people have no longer got their education, their economy. It's like, Lord, we are nothing except without you. Oh, what happens when we nothing, we are weak and he is strong? Mm, okay, things are happening in Zim. And so I assure you, whenever you use Zimbabwe as an example where South Africa is going, um, you have set a worldly standard which is irrelevant. Forgive me for that. And the kingdom of God is advancing because it's God who's working in his power and his love. So in Zimbabwe, we have Americans who could go to any other country in the world. They've chosen the last one. They could be anywhere to do it. Zimbabweans who have left the country who could go to anywhere in the world in order to have a good life. And it's not easy in Zim. I mean, you really struggle for a number of, of things. But they've gone there because God has placed the passion to raise up godly people in the workplaces, in the churches, in the rural areas, etc. And we've met these guys. Uh, friends of ours who are good business people who could be anywhere in the world making millions have chosen Zimbabwe because they want to be part of this as well. What have they done? DTF? They denied themselves to say, Lord, we deserve this. Our education, our, our ability, everything else. We deny ourselves. We want to follow you and what you've did. And we let your word be true because we can see what you can do in Zimbabwe. We don't see what others' good opinions are. We see what you can do. We have taken up our cross. You've called us here to be a light, to be a revelation of your glory and goodness. We do that. And Lord, where are you going? We follow behind you in that power and revelation. So I just, I, I want to make that clear that that is, some amazing thing that God's doing. So just a practical thing here. So in terms of denying, careful of your worldly thinking, your degrees and everything else. And I said something earlier. I feel we collect these journals of facts and figures of where we're going. They're journals of unbelief. We do not have to go the way of Zimbabwe. Don't tell me that because I'm going to tell you where God's taking us. God is in control. It's the government is on his shoulders and he's got a purpose. So don't Bring worldly thinking because that just sets your, you've set your mind somewhere. Do I choose what God can do? And I'm not saying you don't deny the facts. Abraham, he knew he was old. He could see it. His wife was old, but he knew one thing. God had made a promise and he held on to that promise. And he didn't let the lie become the truth. And he focused on the truth and he gave glory to God in that. Lord, I know you're going to do this. Ten years he had to wait for that. So God will do that through this nation. In, in Zimbabwe and South Africa because that's him. It's his power, his glory, his purpose. Um, let's walk by faith. When God returns, what is he going to expect? A whole lot of guys with theological PhDs or anything else, he's going to expect those with faith. How do you exercise faith? Lord, we see what the world will do, but we want to exercise faith and bring truth into this nation. So let's, let's speak God's truth. Um, and God's truth is a final authority in terms of governments, crime, health, wealth, family. 
my, our friends in Zim have the most incredible life. They are blessed in so many other ways as well. The problem with wrong belief when we, we allow ourselves to believe the world is that we, it causes fear and fear buries talents. The three, ta- the guys who had talents, what did Jesus, the, two of them saw the ability to make something out of what they were given. The last person saw fear and saw authority and everything else and wasn't able, and out of fear, he buried his talent. So we've got to rise up and say, Lord, we know that you can provide for us and set us free. So I want to ask you to see it the way God sees it, not out of fear, and say, I'm a steward of what God's given, and I expect it to, to arrive through that. So thinking, deny what the world will tell you is good sense, and go and take scriptures. Find the scriptures, take the selfie, see that real for you. Take up your cross. So all of us have been intercepted and have got a divine purpose for what we need to do. This divine purpose is not to attend church, to endure me. It's like the cannibals who ate a missionary. They got a taste for religion. I hope you're not getting a taste for religion. I hope you're getting consumed by the passion of God and filled to the fullness of God for that. Okay, so a pie would make a good missionary, you would think, eh? So, all right. Divine purposes to release the kingdom of God through us. Right, so take up that cross. That could be uh, making disciples, helping the sick, the poor, one another, but in that we're declaring the goodness of God as we go along. Every opportunity, an opportunity to show the goodness of God and give glory to Him. Um, how far are you prepared to go for God and endure for Him? I think the problem is that some of us say, Lord, I'm prepared to follow you, but here are the boundaries. Let's have a negotiation. As long as I have this and that and you don't do that to my family and this and whatever else, then I'm happy. I'm a good Christian. <laughs> And tell me how well that's working for you. We met this amazing trail runner. She's only started doing trail runs recently. She's doing a race in the Alps. She's got to do 300 kilometers in 150 hours. It's only two kilometers an hour, but you've got to sleep and everything else. So we just said to her, well, you know, how do you do this? Two things that came out. She said, I know the difference between discomfort and real pain. I would say a lot of us let discomfort become a loud noise and a clanging symbol, and we say, ooh, this is, I can't tolerate, oh, this is, no, no, go back to love, go back to grace, and, and let's bring that back to its right place, so we can probably exclude it. What would cause Sophia to bail out of a race? Is it uh, dehydration? Is it cold, hypothermia? Is it a snowstorm? Her one and only criteria she gave us is if I have a broken leg, and the bone is sticking through my skin. I'm finishing the race. I'm finishing the race. Does that give you a picture of those who follow Jesus? Not that you have to have broken legs. So try and avoid that picture with it. But I'm just trying to encourage us is don't set boundaries by which we operate with God. Set, be, be overwhelmed by God's love that has no boundaries and let that be it and say, Lord, whatever I face by your grace, when I'm weak, you're strong, I'm prepared to trust you in that. There's people who say, if the Lord touches my family, I'm not gonna, you know, then I can't do this. I know pastors whose daughters have been Severely handicapped in road accidents who will be in a meeting and get up and say, I can't handle this. I can't handle it. I have to praise the Lord. The Lord is worthy. He's just worthy to be adored and prayed. They've made a decision to praise the Lord in spite of it. Have we made, what decisions have we made? Well, Lord, if you take that away, if you don't give me that. I mean, I used to tell the Lord, you unfair, you're teasing me. I've learned not to do that. He's preparing me every step. I think I'm getting closer. I'm walking in God. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm, I'm receiving what I can from that. So, how far are we prepared to follow and, and take the Lord with them that? Um, also just know that when we come to Jesus, um, those who labor and heavy laden, he gives us rest. And when we take his yoke, we learn from him, it's gentle and um, it's, it's light and, and easy. That's Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. 
So I just want to encourage you. The thing is, the yoke looks heavy. Oh, Lord, I don't know if I can take it. But the moment you lift it up, that's you. You take up. There's a partner in Jesus, the church, walking with you. I mean, who carried Jesus' cross? A non-believing Jew. Even there was an example. I believe that's meant to be there for us to understand. The first person to carry a cross carried Jesus' cross and helped him take on the bigger thing. But Jesus did it in partnership. And I'm saying that's with us as well. The cross that we carry is not our own. But you have to pick it up. Be willing to pick it up. And in that, you know it's light. You will never know it's light. It's like, you know, you see those pictures of guys lifting these 300 kilogram things, but they're actually polystyrene. That's what it kind of is. is you've got to believe I can pick it up and it's going to be immaterial. And then the last thing is to follow Jesus. Um, can you believe that he has the best adventure for us? That he has, he has a purpose, abundant life? Because if you can, then walk, walk in that. Um, delight yourself in the Lord. Uh, Lord, what do you want to do? Let that be my desires. I've put aside these things because in that you'll, you'll find abundant life. Um, also, grace becomes this thing where we are connected to God like a bungee cord. And, and this is God's will down the, the center here. We say, well, I'm born again. I've got grace. Grace means I could go here. I'm still connected to God. I can do what I want. I can do this and that. I'm still connected to God. I can do what I want. But you're not walking. Yeah, you're connected to God. But is that the license to use grace? That's the license to grow, go rogue. The picture God gave me is when I'm connected to God, I say, Lord, you have a purpose for my life. You love me, and I'm walking in your way, in your destiny. This cord starts to get stretched in grace. And I find myself walking backwards, and the power of God is there to go and demonstrate. So I'm God's will. I want to make disciples. I want to demonstrate God, give him glory. And when God releases you, you have that power of grace to catapult you through in power to do it faster and quicker and everything else. So don't use grace to go further away from where God has you. Go use grace in order to line you up. I mean, nobody loads an arrow to shoot it that way. An arrow works in one direction. So I just want to encourage us to use grace in the purpose that it has for us, that we go straight and fast for it. Don't go sideways. You're born again. That's fine. Almost like you can let sin abound, but don't. Do it that way. Um, right, so I'm, I'm going to end it there. Uh, what I would like to do, and if it's still okay, is that we just activate this in the spiritual sense that I want us to move beyond the cerebral because the cerebral is warning us through fear that we're not there. But let's, let's just, if you don't mind, I don't want to take too long, but just close your eyes and, and, and let's see ourselves. What does the Bible tell us about God's love? God sees us. We are now righteous before him. Can you see yourself with all sin separated away from us and we are like Jesus. God gave me a picture. He showed me Jesus and he showed me me and he twisted us around. We did a comparison and there was no difference between the righteousness of Jesus and yourself. Can you see that? That if you look at Jesus and you look at yourself, righteousness is exactly the same. That's what you've received. Can you see because you are righteous that you are a son of God, you've entered into the family of God, that he, he has called you back into family. He has made you a son and daughter of the family of God. He's become your father. You are beloved. And can you see that God's love is poured out to you and that you're no longer living in a, a worldly level of love, but you're living at this level of God's grace-filled, abundant love that is, that is overwhelming, that is setting you free 
let this love pause. And I, I don't even know if there's words to describe it, but Father, I just pray that as Paul prayed that you have given us the Holy Spirit in order to comprehend how deep and wide this love is. And I know it's not something from our own ability, Lord, but as we are seated in the heavenly realms as a new creation, because you made us righteous, we are now a new creation in the heavenly realms, seeing ourselves seated with you, uh, in, in acceptance and glory in the throne room, the control room of, of the universe. I thank you, Father, that your love is greater than what we know and that, Father, through the Holy Spirit, we can receive this and grow in it and expand in it so that we can do the most audacious things possible uh, out of love for you. May we grow closer to you, Father. May we desire more of you. May we see that we are filled with the fullness of God filled with his wisdom, filled with his love, filled with his capability to reach into the world. And I thank you, Father, that as we, as we rest and enjoy this, you will release us into the world through that bungee cord that's lined up, that we go further and faster, gathering more with us in order to turn this world upside down to bring glory to you. So I thank you, Father, that we seek after your love, and we thank you, Father, that you are generous in giving it. Grace abounds for us to receive the spiritual love, this context of it, and that we set aside the worldly understanding of love to receive this and to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.